Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of B2B Sales Trends, the podcast who will provide you with insights, tips, tricks, and uh, nuggets of value through the sales trends that are out there with interesting speakers. And we would like to provide you with uh, two or three takeaways uh, on the topic of sales and negotiating. Today, my guest, and I'm very pleased to uh, uh, have her join us, uh, is uh, Stephanie Green, a former senior procurement leader who now delivers skills uh, 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 training and upskilling initiatives to salespeople on how they negotiate with professional buyers. Welcome to our podcast, Steph. Thanks, Harry. Nice to be here. Thank you for making time. As a way sort of to start this off, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, highlight your experience maybe in the procurement and professional buyer space? Yeah, sure. So I started my career at PepsiCo, actually sitting on the other side of the table in the sales and commercial team. uh, And I was working on the Frito-Lay side of the business uh, in sales. And after eight years of selling potato chips, when my clothes didn't fit me anymore, uh, I went to the world of sport and worked for Reebok for a couple of years. I then moved back to the world of food and I worked for uh, Muller Dairy, which is one of the largest dairy companies uh, in the UK. I, after eight years at Muller, then switched to the other side of the table and I went to work for Aldi as their category director. So I'd been a branded supplier all my life and then I switched to becoming an own label retailer so it's quite an eye-opener for me to first of all sit on the other side of the table and also not to have that reliance on the strength of your brand but actually to start to focus on you know things like product quality and especially price when you're in the discount retail arena Um, And then after a couple of years as a discounter retailer, I then switched completely and went to work for an online startup as their chief commercial officer. So in that role, I looked after um, every area of the business in terms of kind of sourcing the product. I looked after the product design teams. So all of the procurement, forecasting, all the way through to kind of logistics of getting the product to to the end consumer as well. So... Uh, but both buying and also selling in that role. Uh, fabulous background. And how how did you make the transition from those variety of roles, especially the the, the procurement uh, roles, to sales training? So I think because I because of my experience, the fact that I have sat on both sides of the table. The fact that I've worked with both um, bricks and mortar customers and also uh, online businesses, the fact that I've been a supplier uh, and a retailer, uh, and that I've also had to source product from a supplier side as well, I think that just kind of gives me 
all of the different points of view that people value when they're starting to plan for uh, selling to their customers or negotiating with their customers. And so I think because of that set of experiences, it allows me to not only train people based on the fact that I've sat in their shoes, but also, you know, I, I have faced some of the challenges that they face um, and it allows me to bring training materials to life because I've got examples that, you know, chances are if you're faced with a, a buyer and things are, are, are feeling like they're going wrong at the moment, I've definitely sat in your shoes and I can probably help you out with some creative solutions. Uh, and what value that is for uh, your participants. It's huge to really get a sneak peek sort of on the other side uh, of the table and uh, and to share these uh, these these tactics in a way which we're going to get into a little bit later. Uh, very interesting. What types of um, strategies have you seen from uh, from professional buyers uh, during their let's say negotiations with sales teams? Can you share some of those uh, nasty tips and tricks uh, that uh, are not necessarily nasty, but uh, professional buyers are using during these negotiations with sales teams? Yeah, sure. I think the first thing to note, Harry, is, you know what? They're not being nasty. They're just doing their job. So actually, if you were sitting in their shoes, you would probably be doing exactly the same thing. And I think often as salespeople, we forget that and we take it personally because we're so hugely passionate about whatever whatever it is that we're selling. And then we feel all upset when somebody says no to us. But actually, if you were sitting in their shoes, you would say no to everything because guess what? It works. Every time as a buyer, I say no to something, I get a better offer from a supplier. So why would I say yes if I can say no and get a better offer? So I think that's the the first thing is the biggest strategy that that most professional buyers will use is they're using the ability to say no to to get a better deal out of you. Mm. Um, And I think as long as we start with that in mind and prepare for the fact that the person we're selling to is likely to say no and actually probably more likely to say no than to say yes, then Mm. I can prepare for that. And I can almost put some things in my proposal to allow them to say no to some things. So they feel like they're doing a good buying job and negotiating me down. And at the same time, I'm still going to get what I need from the deal. And I think the other thing that I've certainly seen becoming far more prevalent of late is that even within kind of commercial buying functions, we're seeing more and more involvement of the traditional procurement teams. So even within like retail environments, we're seeing, you know, if a supplier goes in, for example, with a cost price increase, then they immediately get referred to a commodity team. And the commodity team are asking for a full breakdown of that cost. So they want your full rationale down to every single cent to justify why you're increasing your prices in the way that you are. And then what they're going to do with that information is they're going to compare it to their commodity reports and slice it and dice it in whichever way suits them to then come back with a, okay, you've told me that your prices are going up by $20. We accept $16 of that, but we won't accept the other $4. 
So again, it's using that kind of almost putting an immediate barrier in place of you now need to go and speak to this third party who you've got no relationship with. And they're almost like an anonymous person that's just going to, I want you to fill in this form in this format with a load of information that I can then slice and dice and I'll come back and I'll reject your offer. So I'm certainly seeing the employment of, of, of teams like commodity teams, um, which would traditionally sit in, in a procurement department being used in conjunction with kind of commercial buyers as well. Um, and if I think back to, to my time sitting on that other side of the table, so um, when I was looking at the suppliers when I was at Gymshark at, at, at the online business, I did exactly that. I, 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 I uh, instigated the use of a bill of materials where when we were pitching for, for some new product, we would send the design out to certain suppliers and we want them to fill in down to the nth degree of detail what their product cost makeup is. You know, how much is it in materials? How much is it in labour? How much is it down to thread and the button and the logo that's being used? And similarly, when I was at Aldi, I had the commodity team as part of my team. So any supplier that came in with a cost price increase if they were looking at, you know, justifying their cost price because let's say the price of fuel had gone up, then I would take that chart and whatever time period you've used, I'll look at it. If you say in the past 12 months, it's gone up by 7%, I'll go back five years and say, okay, but over five years, it's come down. So why haven't I seen a price decrease for the past four years before you've put it back up again? So I think really starting to challenge the rationale and the data and, and just the start point being I need a complete breakdown of for you to justify your costs. I think that's becoming far more prevalent these days. So interesting. I want to go into the uh, both of these uh, topics. First of all, the say no and what, what your idea is of how salespeople should behave. That's point number one. But let's start with the commodity uh, team behavior that you have just shared, which is so interesting. And we were honestly, uh, selling what we sell, uh, sometimes we were at the end of it. You know, uh, you have to respond exactly in this way. We want to mm -hmm. compare apples to apples here. And uh, I, I'm just curious, uh, for my own benefit, if anything, mm -hmm. um, how do you react uh, from the sales side of things? What if you What if you can't compare apples to apples there? And what if you don't respond in exactly the way that Uh, this commodity team is uh, is asking you to. Is there a big risk of losing the deal, or would you say if you have value to the table that that you're going to be in it anyway and to try to make it work? What what's your take on that? Yeah, I think it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think what what you need to do as a seller is to identify who is the ultimate decision maker, mm -hmm. and rarely is it the person that's asking you to fill out that report. Mm. So I think there's actually a lot of pre-work that's needed to kind of position what you need to position with the person that's going to be making that final decision. And and there are, there are situations when you genuinely cannot provide that full breakdown of costs. And also, by the way, nor should you. Because if you're a private business, you're under no obligation to reveal your full cost structure 
to somebody that you're supplying that product to. Because actually, all businesses, with you know very few exceptions of you know not-for-profit organisations, most businesses are in business to make money, and I'm under no obligation to reveal to you the profit margin that I make on all of my products just because I'm supplying you. So actually, we're not under any obligation to share that information. So my recommendation is really to decide how much of that information are you prepared to share and how much do you need to go and actually precondition the person that you're going to be speaking to around the fact that it isn't apples with apples and convincing them of all of the value that you add aside from just the bit that can be compared. And I think that that's the, the real challenge is understanding what's important to the other person and leveraging those things and creating more value around what you offer so that it, it, it can't be an apples for apples comparison. Because there's very few services, there's very few products that are directly comparable unless you genuinely are in that commodity market. So interesting. I read a stat uh, somewhere, uh, and it was probably about six months ago, and, and don't quote me exactly on the percentages. I seem to remember it was a high something between 60 and 70% of all deals are already decided before procurement reaches out uh, uh, to the provider. Would you agree with that? In my experience, I would say yes. I think in most instances, the person asking for the information will have a good idea as to which provider they're going to select. And I would say it's probably in exceptional circumstances that they'll be swayed by getting information through in that way. So uh, what it's likely to be used for is to go back and to um, to ne- renegotiate with the person you've already decided that you wanted to go with in the first place. It just gives you a bit more power by having a, a, a plan B to go in with to say, look, I've got a quote from a competitor and actually if you can match their price, then the business is yours. But, you know, you've got to, again, think of that cost of switching for the person that you're dealing with, because often it's far more hassle than it's worth for the procurement department or for the buyer to switch suppliers on something. So I would say it's probably, you know, it's in exceptional circumstances that that getting that information through is going to change your mind unless there is a hugely, you know, dramatic difference in cost that you just suddenly realise you've been buying the most expensive in the market and there's lots of other options. Um, but I would say, yeah, in most instances, you, you'll have a fair idea as to who you, who your preferred choice would be. Right, right, right. So a good tip for uh, salespeople would be get engaged with all the decision makers and all stakeholders, and that includes the buying functions early on in the process to sort of, influence the uh, uh i don't want to say the tender because it's not always a tender but the uh, the the request for proposal and, and make yeah. sure that you sort of shape that in advance right yeah and i think it's also you know kind of have the awareness of uh, 
are you the person that's the preferred supplier or are you the person that's being used to go back and renegotiate with the preferred supplier? And just by asking some questions, you can often kind of identify, are they genuinely, do they genuinely want to hear from me or am I just being used to provide some information so they can go back and and negotiate with with one of my competitors? And I think we... I've had the conversation with, with people many times where they say, well, you know, what do I do if, if, if actually they're just using this information to, to go in and renegotiate with the person they're, they're already being supplied by? Right. I said, well, if their mind is made up, then my, my only advice really is don't waste too much time on it. So try and build a relationship so that in the future you can try and influence it at an earlier stage. But if, if you're being brought in at the point where it's, fill out this bill of materials and then you don't hear anything back, chances are you're just being used to negotiate an existing contract. Right, right, right. I love that bit that you said earlier about uh, uh, buying professional and professional buyers, procurement people, as a sort of trained to say no uh, and and uh, have that mindset to, uh, to, to go down that track, no, no, no. What is it that salespeople have to do in in response to that? Uh, because you know we always talk about in negotiation training around tension and not make the tension go uh, go away, don't concede too early, and so forth. But mm-hmm. that's sort of a you know a cold slap in the face when uh, when the procurement professional keeps saying no, right? Yes, yes, <laughs> but um, it shouldn't be a surprise. You know, we've all we've all negotiated or sold to people often enough that we really shouldn't feel that it is a slap in the face. We should just it should just be expected. Oh, look, here's the buyer behaving in exactly the way I expect them to, which is to say no, because they want me to come back with a better deal. So I think the only way then to move things forward is, again, plan. How are you going to start to to negotiate with them at what point are you going to come back with a better deal the other thing i think is to you know probe when they're saying no to understand is it genuinely no to everything i'm just not interested in what you're trying to sell me or is it no to one element of it so actually it's the timing you know you want to to do this with me in september we're not in a position to do that in september it's going to have to be next april so probe mm. and and ask loads of questions to really understand which part of your initial proposal are they saying no to mm. so mm. you understand what are the bits that you can actually go away and maybe rework or mm. are they just saying no to play hardball to try and get more um more from you right and that that typical tactic that is used a lot of the times is 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 as part of saying no to a lot of things is making unrealistic demands in the process of that would you handle it those the same way you've just described yeah absolutely i think um you know the unrealistic demands it's it again it amazes me how many salespeople go into this kind of head spin of panic when a buyer makes an unreasonable request so you know they they come to me for, for coaching sessions and they say but my buyer has told me that they've got to have at least x amount from me and i think well then that means that that's actually 
the most that they need because they're never going to open with the least amount that they need from you. That's not how negotiations work. Whereas because they've used that language of, I need at least this much, salespeople suddenly panic. Oh, you know, I haven't got that amount in my budget. So again, it's kind of understanding. And I think you've got to use appropriate signaling back as well. So if if it's genuinely unrealistic, then you've got to signal that to the other party that, look, this is just not where we're expecting you to to be. You know, if somebody's coming back with an unrealistic demand in terms of the cost price of something that you genuinely can't hit, even if they, you know, went sole supply with you or they ordered, you know, more quantities than you could possibly imagine, if it's genuinely not a price that you could sell for, you've got to make that really clear to them because they've got to understand when they're just way off in terms of their opening position. So I think we we shouldn't be scared to say no back to unrealistic demands. You know, that's what negotiation negotiation is. You know, but you've got got to make some very clear signals where things are unrealistic if you want to move a negotiation forward. I love that bit, exactly. Uh, a final question for you. Give us your number one tip for salespeople to do or not to do when they are engaging with professional buyers. What's the one thing that you say you have to do or not do this in order to have a successful conversation, successful relationship or a negotiation with Uh, your buyer what's that one top thing that you would give our listeners okay so the I I guess it's kind of it's a double-edged sword in that what I would do is talk about their business and the opportunity for their business what I would avoid is your business and I see it again again and again and far too frequently sellers go in and talk about their business, about their offer, about their brands. And quite frankly, when you're sitting on the other side of the table, that's just, well, that's all very nice. But what about my business? How are you helping me? So my my biggest tip is understand what's important to the person that you're selling to and make it important, make it even more important to them, whatever it is that you're selling. So how is that going to help them hit their targets? How is that going to help them grow their business rather than this is all the reasons why we're great? Right, right. So really helping them to to, uh, come to a realization of what their needs are and help them to achieve what they need to achieve versus this is the product I need to push. Yes, absolutely that. Steph, you've been absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much uh, for your time, for your tips and for your insights. My dear listeners, this was another episode of uh, B2B Sales Trends. I hope uh, we could provide you a couple of tips on how do you engage more effectively with your professional buyers. If you want to learn more and need help in that topic, contact us. Uh, We'll be uh, happy to help you on how you deal with procurement and uh, how to negotiate better, more profitable agreements with them. Steph, you've been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. Until the next episode, my name is Harry Kendelbacher from Global Performance Group. I see you next time. All the best.